Yeah. That's cold coffee. Fantastic. Lovely. It was, I was very excited when it started raining last night and went and did the standing outside on my balcony I did that. and the rain thing. Yeah, I was in the garden. That's nice. We were both outside at once going, oh. Lovely rain. rain. Lovely little rain. Good petrichor smell. Very strong. Um, but yeah, then I woke up this morning and it was steam. So yeah, it's just gone fug. I did. It's bad enough. Like, okay, hot and sunny, I quite like. Although I made the mistake of doing all my gardening yesterday when it was stupidly hot and sunny. How much gardening could you do? I had quite, I bought a bunch of plants to pot and I was repotting things. And a lot of the plants I bought died because. Neglect. Yeah, I'd left them for like a day. Yeah, that's fine. I don't, all my plants are dead. I'm not judging. I'm just. Yeah, I'm just very bad at keeping plants alive. It's really annoying. My rosemary I, died. I'm so sad. My rosemary died. I kept that. Killed your rosemary. Actually, I've kept. I've killed rosemary before. It drowned. I think it drowned. It was. It. it it's not like it was a. It was a full fledged bush. It, like it didn't need looking after. Yeah. So I, I think just the the rain this spring just killed it. Yeah, that's probably true. Mine's yellowing a little bit, so I think I might. Uh, I have to look at the soil it's in, and because um, it needs like it doesn't want tons of water. No, exactly, yeah. Yeah, just so make I sure the I drainage might, is decent. I might mix some perlite into I the soil. I forgot to buy basil again. I want a basil plant. Oh, I want a basil plant. I remember plant. to go to the market on some Saturday. I might stick one of my waitress oil. I'm also, I've planted some fenugreek seeds, mm-hmm. so I'm going to see if that grows. I'm quite excited because mm-hmm. getting fresh fenugreek is a pain. What a sentence. <laughs> Yeah, I don't right. know I, what I would do with fresh fenugreek. Should I have any? Uh, use it in a curry. Ah, okay. It is uh, that very, very, very distinct smell of an Indian restaurant. That's fenugreek called methi. Okay. Oh, methi. Yes, no, I have methi. Okay. Yeah. Right, obviously, but yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, same thing. Different names. Maybe cool. not like, completely the same thing, but like Similar. almost ex- yeah. close enough. Okay. You know, I'm quite proud that I've managed to make my rosemary survive because it was one... Uh, we had bought a bunch of herb plants at the cinema just before the first lockdown. So I took it home with me. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. It looked like it was going to die. Yeah. And I managed to somehow revive it and it's still alive over a year later. Fantastic. Most of my other plants are dead, but that one's fine. I really hate that I'm so bad with plants. Like everything else about me screams, witch, burn her. And then it comes to plants and it's like, Oh, I know. Never mind. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of the, to be good with plants, I feel like you either have a knack for it or you have to spend so much time like learning what plant needs what. And I don't know, maybe yeah. if you like grow up gardening, you know, some of this stuff. But yeah, I mean, I feel like if I did more than just shove them in the ground or in pots and hope for the best, I might do a bit better. Oh, but who has the time? Yeah. I, think... <laughs> I briefly in went down economy. the sort of the rabbit hole of the gardening subreddits and I'm still in them. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> pictures, but yeah, I was in those too. Um, actually I don't think I've re- I didn't not rejoin for any good reason. It was just when I started a new account, I forgot. Yeah. They're Neat quite nice. Art ones. Yeah. I like seeing other people being good at things I'm not good at. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes. The gardening Facebook groups are quite vicious. So. Oh yeah. No, I wouldn't. Own. I g- generally stay away from Facebook groups, especially for hobbies. Yeah. Like foodie Facebook groups are bad places. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually, it's about Facebook. It's so fucking bickery. 
the, it's like Twitter seems to encourage large scale harassment. Yeah. Facebook seems to encourage just fucking vitriolic spats. Yeah. I, I just, know. I feel like people, I think it's the whole you're behind a keyboard and you forget that there is a person on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but it's something about the way they're set up as well. But it's that the UI makes a big difference because you just don't get that kind of constant fucking bickering on like on Reddit even. Like obviously people do bitch, but it's not on every subreddit. It really is quite community dependent. Yeah, I mean the foodie subreddits are like that. It is constant bitchy and bickering. But the proper dickheads get downvoted usually. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, part of it is Facebook doesn't have like a downvote feature. You yeah. can angry react, but you, or sad react. But uh, I know tw- Twitter has that thing where it's like, oh, reveal content that might have offensive content. But I, yeah. have, I would say nine times out of ten, it gets it wrong, and it's just oh, a yeah. perfectly innocuous comment or a gif or something. Sometimes it's like you can kind of see where the filter picked it up, and it was like if there wasn't a space there and instead the spaces were there, then there might be a slur mm. or like sometimes it's just sweary. Yeah. I think sometimes it's users get flagged as being potentially inappropriate. Right. Okay. I would really love a proper peek under the hood of how Twitter's algorithms work. Well, I think it's probably one of those things like staring into the void where you just kind of lose all, all of your senses kind of, you know, Lovecraftian eldritch horrors yeah yeah algorithms yeah look i i understand that algorithms are a thing i'm not still not 100 sure i could fully define the word no but i can use it in a sentence like i can so it's fine yeah <laughs> as long as no one calls my bluff we're good and i can call spell it bluff listeners don't call my bluff. listeners never call our bluffs we, we bluff a lot there's no need for that no <laughs> <laughs> that's not what this podcast is about <laughs> what is this podcast about uh, mm, soul music part three. Oh fuck! I didn't write it previously on. Shit. Okay, I'll make it up on the go. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> up. Right, I'm going to pull up your notes from last week. <laughs> oh, I told you I'm shit today. Fuck me. <sighs> uh, well, like I literally forgot to go to a dentist. I haven't done that since we did the proper in-person episodes, and even then, like he would be there, so I'd be like, oh yeah, fuck, and just write one. Hold on. Uh, do you want to write one quickly <laughs> yeah maybe i'll write one where we go make a coffee yeah do you want to uh make coffee and then do you want to make a podcast yeah we'll make a pod we'll make a coffee finish the work i didn't do yet make a podcast hello and welcome to the true shall make you fret a podcast in which we're reading and recapping every book from terry pratchett's Discworld series one at a time in chronological order i'm joanna hagan and i'm francine carroll this is part three of our discussion of soul music. Yeah. I'm not sure why I went a bit Matt Berry there. Yeah. <laughs> We're part going with three. it. Soul, soul music. <laughs> soul music. There we go. Excellent. Got to put the, the emphasis in a weird place. Obviously. Soul music. <laughs> part no. three. Sorry. <laughs> Carry on. It's We're fine. doing well so far. I'll let you start. Am I loud? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Note on spoilers before we crack on. This is a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, heavy spoilers for the book we're on, Soul Music, but we will avoid spoiling future events in the Discworld series. And we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, uh, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. 
in a stagecoach too fast around Dead Man's Corner. I thought you were going to go with the flying motorbike, but fine. Oh, yeah. No, that could have worked. Never mind. <laughs> it's what happens if I just let myself go with things. <laughs> I miss the flying motorbikes. So <laughs> You miss 100% of the flying motorbikes you don't ride? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Even if you miss the flying motorbike, you'll end up among the wreckage Ooh, at the bottom nice. of the cliffs. Yeah. <laughs> Francine, would you like to tell us what happened previously on Soul Music? I mean, I'll try. Um, <laughs> Previously, on soul music. (laughs) Music with Roxin takes the mended drum and Nankmore Pork by storm. The eldritch canaries of the Unseen University raise red flags for Ridcully, and he consults the younger wizards, who for some reason aren't the ones acting like teenagers. Susan struggles to swing the scythe, death can't forget, Dibbler dabbles in music management, and the band go off on tour, but not without paying a short visit to the Street of Cunning Artificers. And what is that orangutan building? <laughs> I didn't add that bit in until right this second because I just remembered I forgot a point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well done. All right. Well, this time on Soul Music, and I apologise because it's a very long summary. A lot happened. Okay. I'm just going to meet myself and like drink an entire Diet Coke and enjoy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Susan ponders in Death Study as, study as Dibbler chats in Chalky's office and prepares to send the band on tour. He interviews potential musical maestros and books in supporting acts for the upcoming free festival as the band set off. Death climbs out of the river rank into which he was so unceremoniously thrown and finds himself uh, with foul old Ron and his ragtag bunch of invisible misfits. Cleet, in his fury at the free festival, sends assassins after the band with Roxin. The band arrive in Scroach, the show goes on, and afterwards a depleted buddy narrowly avoids assassination with the help of Susan, who attempts to warn him of his fate. Meanwhile, the rat runs for the raven and drags him to death's domain in the hope of uh, acquiring assistance from Albert as they fill him in on Susan's serious decisions. As the band head for Sidopolis, Crash and the gang attempt to sound test with Dibbler, but they don't quite have what it takes. They do, however, have a leopard with hearing difficulties. The band rocks Sidopolis before being politely asked to abandon the city in a hurry, and Albert heads for the disc with a scant 19 days left on his timer in the hopes of discovering Death's whereabouts. The band play Stolas and once again leave in a hurry. They make it to Quirm and get in for the show uh, with some help from some clever taxation. Meanwhile, Albert follows Death's footsteps to Clatch and then the mended drum, and Susan follows her parents' footsteps to the past and witnesses their untimely demise. Dibbler has ideas and the band head back to Wankmorepork as Ridcully and Ponder prepare to attend the festival in the hope of dealing with dungeon demonic entities. The band make one last stop at the Street of Cunning Artificers before heading to Hyde Park for the festival. At the festival, Dibbler checks the substantial profits are loaded in the cart. Glod and Cliff give Buddy his mended harp and before the band can really start, Buddy plays one last quiet song and breaks the audience's hearts. As the music with Roxin begins, Ridcully prevents Cleet's latest attempt on Buddy's life. The wizards watch on with the help of the University Omniscope, and Death is roused from his life as an invisible. The band skip an encore in favour of jumping into the cash cart and heading for Quern. The Bone Rat finishes rousing Death, who goes looking for a horse to ride after saving an incapacitated Albert, and in place of ghastly things from the dungeon dimensions, Crash and the supporting band appear. In the cellar of the university, the wizards come across the librarian's project, a strange two-wheeled creation ready to ride. Death takes it and the dean's jacket and follows the action. A deadly chase ensues as Buddy and the band race for Quern, with the musicians killed, Susan on Binky and Death as a dark rider follow. The band's cart crashes and Susan almost saves them as Death's bike begins to break. Susan and the band find themselves lost in the music before being thrown away. Death arrives in time to face the music and on the day the music died, Buddy makes it live again as Death sets the world to rights with a single finger snap. 
After the post-festival riot, the support band and Red Cully wake and swear off rock for life as the events of the last few days become a bit hazy for everyone. Death takes Susan back to school and sends her to bed as if she was never gone. The following day, at the end of the term, Susan learns there's a new bloke working down the chip shop and they'd swear he's elvish. Finally, Death resumes his duty. Very good, well done. Yeah, I stopped breathing like five seconds into that. Yeah, no, I saw that, yeah. (laughs) Just let your oxygen return to your extremities and we'll carry on. Good old theatrical lung capacity. (laughs) Absolutely useless in every other scenario. So helicopter and loincloth watch, we have got a loincloth mention and I noticed it this time. You didn't have to write it down for me. Uh, that uh, Cliff is wearing a loincloth and therefore excited young ladies won't have a lot to tear off him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and motorbike, I take it, is the helicopter? Yeah, yeah, motorbikes are uh, filling in for helicopters in this. Yep. I feel like they've got a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. It flies at one point. Does it? Uh, yeah. Also, for just sort of other little bits we're keeping track of, uh, I wanted to note this joke because obviously the whole million to one chances come up nine times out of ten thing. And uh, Ridge Cully is explaining to uh, Ponder that everything is going to be fine. A pocket full of decent spells and a well-charged staff will get you out of trouble nine times out of ten. And uh, how many times have you had to rely on them, sir? As well, there was Mr Hong and the business with the thing in the versus wardrobe. Nine times so far. And it worked every time, sir. Yes, so there's no need to worry. <laughs> that did make me laugh aloud. <laughs> that is one of my favourite exchanges. Again, it's the wizard's dialogue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's sad. And we had another little knobby and colon moment as well, just with the, for no reason. Why do you, why do you back teeth fit together? And death drives his motorbike through the gates. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the little knobby and colon asides in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 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 quotes. Both um, of our quotes are quite late on. I think mine is actually first because our, our page numbers are a bit weird. Yes. Um, yours is at the climax, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Well, go first anyway. Okay, cool. Modo straightened up and paused to admire his rosebed, which contained the finest display of pure black roses he'd ever managed to produce. A high magical environment could be useful sometimes. Their scent hung on the evening air like an encouraging word. The flower bed erupted. Modo had a brief vision of flames and something arcy into the sky before his vision was blotted out by a rain of beads, feathers and soft black petals. He shook his head and ambled off to find his shovel. Little, little, uh, reappearance of our favourite stoic gardener. Like, I see. I see. It'd just take a couple of centuries to get that back to normal. Fair yeah. enough. I um, I did put him in characters, but literally only because I wanted to talk about that scene because I really like Modo's nonchalant reaction to everything. I also really liked the... Uh, there's a few beautiful little one-liner metaphors in here, but their scent hung on the evening air like an encouraging word, I thought was particularly... Or sim- I, simile, rather. I did also... Not my quote, but I noticed it in case you didn't. There's another good line about uh, a half moon. Which one's that? Uh, this is uh, one of after the one of the gigs when Susan comes to find Buddy. Would have been nice if there was a full moon or even a crescent. A full moon would have been better. But there was just a half moon, which never appears in romantic or occult paintings, despite the fact that it is indeed the most magical phase. Ah, now, like, I must that, have skipped over that somehow. But yeah, that's one of the things we picked up on. Yeah, that's one of the little bits we like in general. Uh, oh. And the other metaphor that I nearly used was uh, when Glod is playing the trumpet and it's something like, uh, it made a sound like black velvet burning in a lightless room or something Ooh. like that. Oh, now I want to listen to black velvet again. 
I thought you were going to say, now I want to set fire to some black velvet and light this room. I'm like, go for it, mate. All for the aesthetic. Well, Entirely but... for the aesthetic. <laughs> I don't want to set fire to velvet's expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Sorry. What was my quote? I have no idea. Uh, this is near the end. Matter exploded into being, apparently as chaos, but in fact as a chord, the ultimate power chord. Everything all together streaming, streaming out in one huge rush that contained within itself, like reverse fossils, everything that it was going to be. Good. Do you want to read out the opposite bit as well, though? Death appeared not to smile. He brought his hand down on the strings. There was no sound. There was instead a cessation of sound, the end of a noise which Susan realised she'd been hearing all her life. A kind of sound you never notice until it stops. The strings were still. There are millions of chords, there are millions of numbers, and everyone forgets the one that is a zero. But without the zero, numbers are just arithmetic. Without the empty chord, music is just noise. Yeah, That's another thing we've kind of brought up a few times, isn't it? The, the something of the out of the other end of the something. Yeah, the absence. To be really like, eloquent there, yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> like nerd the absence is, defining the presence, yes. The uh, nerd is the opposite of sober is one yeah. of the ones he uses that I like. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. the through dark and out the other ends come up a couple of times with uh, a Especially light, a dark witches. not being the absence of light. There's something else, isn't there? And yeah, all yeah. That. And obviously the the big bell, big Tom, whatever his name is. Yes, the bell that rings silence is yeah. old Tom. Old Tom, thank you. Cool. All right. Well, I've uh, dragged out the quotes long enough. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Should we go on I think to we put about five in there? Thanks, me. Uh, <laughs> yes. Let's uh, let's start with the invisibles, which is what I've the groups the book somewhat dubs and i've continued to dub the uh sort of miscreants that hang around by the river that death falls in with when death mm-hmm. becomes mr scrub and we've met some of these individuals before uh we've had foul old ron and his smell and his smell coffin henry who earns his money by not going anywhere <laughs> people organizing important social engagements sent him anti-invitations little presents of money to assume he wouldn't turn up uh, Arnold Sideways, who's got no legs, and um, would grab people by their knees and say, have you got change for a penny? Oh, nice. <laughs> and then you have the duck man. He's got a duck on his head. It's fine. Uh, cool. I enjoy them. They are nice characters. They are. I thought it was a very touching moment, um, especially when they got affected by the song. Because yes. they're all of the you know screaming through your soul, rock and roll songs didn't... They didn't have that to tap into, but the heartbreaking the sa- soul stuff was. Yeah, the sadness, like a battle flag, managed to yeah. reach them, and that was uh, that was very sweet. Um, and then who else? We haven't got a lot of new characters, but odd bits I want to talk about. You've got Albert, who uh, we haven't talked about much this book. He doesn't have a lot to do. Like all he does, he in this section he goes looking for death, gets knocked out, and then death finds him and saves him. Yeah, he's the the, the damsel in distress. Yes, it's nice to have a damsel in distress who's a very, very, very old man. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, his lifetimer that I find interesting. He's sort of let things dwindle away, doing odd jobs here and there, and he's just found himself with only 19 days left, and he still goes to try and fix everything. Yeah. And then breaks and then his lo- lifetimer. <laughs> yeah, breaks his lifetimer and kind of loses his last 19 days. So I guess he's stuck in dust domain now. Mm. Uh We've got to address that later in the series, haven't we? I'm sure. It will come up again. Yeah, yeah. Which is part of why I wanted to highlight it here. Yeah. Um, 
because we are going to spoilers we're going to see death again yeah <laughs> so we haven't had a book without him yet Mm-mm. uh and then you're putting mr scrub slash death well i like you know he adopts this persona as part of this group um and manages to be, and starts begging with them and manages to be just sufficiently intimidating enough that uh one of the boys from the supporting band realized they should probably be nice and give him some money do you know what Mr. Scrub is that referring to anything? Or? No, I don't I think it's just meant to be, you know, it's a word. Yeah. It's mildly funny. Scrub. Yeah. yeah. It's not a horrific word. That doesn't need to go on the band words list. <laughs> um, but the line, Mr. Scrub blinked again and death stood up, that moment where he really mm. comes back to himself, I thought was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we've seen him we've seen that he can kind of become another person. Yeah, the same way he became Bill Dorr. Yeah. And I don't think he's become Mr. Scrub quite as intensely as he became Bill Dorr. No, it's more like a little holiday, wasn't it, I guess? Yeah. But yeah, that's a good line. But it's nice to see him have that transition and accepting responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. He realises, all right, shit's going down. Clearly, I've got to... Yeah. He, he, no- he really does know the duty is there when it all comes down to it. Sometimes it takes him a while to get there. And admittedly, he was going through a lot in Reaper Man. He's out of time. He's yeah, we're not we're not going to judge our favourite anthropomorphic personification. That would be extremely foolish of us. Yeah, judge not lest ye be what's it. Um, it's not really a character, but the bike. Nearly a character. It's got a life of its own, for sure. It's definitely got a life of its own. I love the idea that the librarian heard rock and roll and apart from his brief career as a keyboardist, really decided this went with it. Yeah. Like this yeah. also needed to exist in a universe that had music with rocks in. Yeah, a, p- a part of the magic kind of took the librarian and was like, you can do this. You're dexterous enough. Yeah. <laughs> Scary enough that you can just go and take people's cartwheels and they won't. <laughs> but, uh, it was junk, but as it stood in the flickering glow, it had a dark organic quality. Not exactly life, but something dynamic and disquieting and coiled and potent. Yes. It's a lovely description. I mean, I'm not a massive motorbike geek, although I do like, A, I love Dean, the Dean's enthusiasm. Oh, it yes. <laughs> follows on from what I was saying last week that I really love how much the Dean gets caught up in these, especially in books like this and like moving pictures, how excited he gets about everything. I'm sad that he won't get a go on it. I'm very sad he won't get a go on it, but it's the way he's the one looking at it going, well, it's got to go. Yeah, obviously That is meant to yeah. be moving. But he does also describe it as a triumph, which is a very famous... British made motorbike. Ah, there we go. They do cars as well. Cool. Um, we had a friend with a Triumph. He had a Rocket 3. That's it, yeah. Which I went on a couple of times. He was a terrible person, but oh, the yeah, yeah. bike was very My nice. Bike, yeah. mm. Yes, no, I, My, used to, uh, I used to live with him, so I remember that sound yes. at 5am. <laughs> My ex-stepdad also had a, a Triumph Thunderbird, which is another very nice bike. Again, terrible person. Maybe t- bad people mm. have Triumphs. Yeah. Listeners, write in if you have a triumph and you're not a terrible person. We're always happy to have more data points. Well, if they're listening to us, they can't be all that terrible. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's maybe not. I feel like most of our listeners are better people than us. So we just need to find people on our level. And we're... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that difficult. The bar is pretty low. Pretty low. Right. Yes. Uh, talk- we've gone past Modo. We've discussed everything I want to say about Modo. Oh, yeah, Buddy. Um, just like I was kind of focusing on Susan's journey a bit this week. I like with Buddy's journey, you know, where he was really quite passive in the last section, understandably, because he's been taken over by the music. He, yeah. His awareness and coming back round to being 
the other protagonist of the story. Because I'd say him and Susan are fairly 50-50 on their protagonism. I'm aware Yeah, you get a lot more from Susan. Yeah. You get get a lot more like narrative from Susan, but you get maybe a lot more of the plot from Buddy. Yeah, I think you get more of Susan's like internal monologue. Yeah. Although she's not doing loads here until you get she's mostly she's trying to save Buddy and then she gets her role in the big climax, but in the rest of the section she's not really doing a lot speaking of protagonists so the thought i was having as i was reading it was um in all these what happens when thing happens books Mm -hmm. um the lack of a kind of effective antagonist is quite notable and so in in quite a lot of practice books there's definitely a bad guy like in lords and ladies it's the elves in um uh the the in god's guards it's the dragon Yeah, yeah 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 uh whereas in these ones it's the chaos i guess or the yeah the entity. the entity yeah but then there's always like a little bad guy in that to hate yeah you've got like mr cleat in this one hat, is this hat, hat. minor weasley greasy antagonist literal rat got killed by the rat death i always like when uh, sniff, sniff, sniff. the the bone rat gets sent after someone yeah. um what an insult love it <laughs> that is just death throwing shade absolutely um yeah back to buddy sorry I, you do occasionally get start getting snippets of his inner monologue here which we didn't mm. get in the last section you got after the gig he's sort of really realizing that uh he feels dead after these gigs he feels so alive when he's on stage and afterwards there's nothing left of him yeah and his slow realization that he's the uh he's just the catalyst for this music but he's still got this arrogance alongside it when Susan tries to save him and he just won't listen to her. He's just like, oh, you must just be one of those groupies or a muse. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you're saying. Like at the moment, anyone else challenges him on something he's realising for himself. He kind of dives back into the music and puts it up like a wall around him. Yeah. And especially that pride as well is something that kind of goes with what I was saying last week is that he's somewhat in that character mould, the Victor and Tepic and... yeah. Yeah, for sure. And sees himself as slightly separate. Yeah. And when you get to later on, when he finally realises that he can't actually play the guitar and that's where he kind of accepts, okay, this is the last gig and then I've got to go. There's nowhere else I can go from here. And it takes him getting his heart back to really confront that within himself. And I like that. It's not even really hubris, but that finally putting the pride down. And instead accepting the one thing he is really good at, which he wrote a beautiful song on the harp. Yeah. It's kind of, it's not even just accepting that because that seems like he really just wanted to do that the whole time, didn't he? Because like he was like, I don't care anymore. Like I finally got to do that one thing. I mean, his original plan was to be one of the most famous bards that ever lived, but. But he got to play that in front of all those people. (laughs) So he kind of got, he got to do that. He got to be the famous bard. Yeah, he got and to then, do his big thing. Yeah. And also, finally, I did say right at the beginning with the Elvis jokes that we would mention the, the big culmination of the joke around his name, which is that people keep saying he looks Elvish, as in he looks like Elvis, and right at the end, he fish. works at the chip chip shop. Yeah. There is a famous Kate Bish song called There's a Bloke Who Works Down the Chip Shop Swears He's Elvis. And... Uh... I think Pratchett's made a few jokes, but uh, Good Omens, that's what I'm thinking. Good Omens definitely has a couple of Kate Bush. What's this? Oh, yeah. um, Well, you've got Elvis working in the burger place in Good Omens, but that's I don't think that's because of the Kate Bush song. I think that's because 
there are lots of conspiracy theories about Elvis being alive and working in a burger ah, restaurant. Okay, cool. But I think that might be why the Kate Bush song has the name. I don't know. I, I can't imagine it would be any other reason. That's a, yeah. Although what it is Kate Bush, so who knows? <laughs> yeah. Let's never try and understand the inner mental workings of Kate Bush. God, I love weathering heights. Oh, uh, me too. And running up that hill. Yeah. Which is ironic because in real life, I really hate running up hills. And Rothering Heights. Yeah. God, it's a bad book. <laughs> God, it's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Heathcliff. <laughs> no, I'm not going to try and see that. <laughs> No. <laughs> I'll tell you what, in the shower on my own, I think I do a pretty good rendition, but I will just clam up with humiliation as soon as I try and note. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, actually going back to when there's enough room for the dance, as I <laughs> Oh, you've got to do the dance if you do it. That's an alone song for a reason. It's <laughs> <laughs> a special alone time song. <laughs> going back to death, there was a, a whole thing I forgot to talk about, which is his big emotional moment once he has returned to himself in this is uh, and he plays the empty chord and then gets buddies start the music up again. He snaps his fingers and things sort of go back to normal. He almost gets the opportunity to do what he couldn't do for Morse and Isabel. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't save them, but here he could reset history because something else had come in that wasn't supposed to be there. That kind of allowed him to fix everything. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to revisit Susan really quickly as well, just to say yeah. that she comes across as more of a... T- well, she's always been the teenage girl, but I think in this section, she gets to be a teenage girl. She gets to kind of yell at her granddad, this isn't fair. And yeah. then obviously she gets a little crying on her own moment. And yeah, I, I like really her more in this section because she's acting like a teenage girl. She's allowed girl. to be, yeah, she's allowed to be a teenage girl again because granddad's back to fucking fix it. Yeah, she gets <laughs> And because put... she makes death happy by saying a swing was nice and giving me a little kiss on the skull. Yes, that bit was very sweet. Um, But yeah, no, the... I really like Susan's teenage girl moments and there's something about the scene uh, right at the end when it's the end of term and she's walking through town with her mates eating chips. The end of a coming of age movie, isn't it? (laughs) It is. But also, do you remember walking around town with your mates eating chips and talking about boys? Absolutely. I never got asked out by a guy with a mountain. I'll say that. Well done, Jade. No. It's got a lovely glacier there year round. I was trying to remember the fucking <laughs> Yeah, but she quite likes the boy who's almost saved up enough for his own bridge. Yeah. And sometimes Choices. it's hard to be a woman. <laughs> Which also I enjoyed that reference. I'll go more on the music references later. God, you must have a fucking page full. I, I've got I was picking them up here, there and everywhere. So God knows what you've been finding. <laughs> I've got a few. I haven't written down literally every reference because... Well, no, you may as well just day. read the end of the book then, yeah. <laughs> just going to read the lot this is now just an audiobook rather than a podcast don't sue us <laughs> <laughs> we're not licensed anyway locations yes uh i want to start with the stow plains and cabbage little town of scrotus cabbage everywhere lettuce or cabbage in this one I cabbage think. cabbage 53 types of cabbage and 81 types of bean Excellent. with an odd pointless village state space out very much in the realms of badass where there exists yeah. so that there's not an embarrassing expanse of map. Yeah. And it, it's something I really like when fantasy books do, and they don't always do it, which is remembering to include the boring bits in the world building. Yeah, that he like fleshes it out enough to make it co- like the, the three old men sitting outside the livery and then the three young men talking about how they're going to get out of here one day, but like obviously they're going to become the old men. And... It's it's a really lovely tiny little scene, but it's something that always bugs me in fantasy books where you've got all these huge rich cities and castles and it's the only time you learn when the food is coming from is when a young farmer boy realises his true destiny because he was a prince all along. Yeah, yeah. 
So when they stop to set fire to an inn on the way or something. Exactly. So I like it when a fantasy book just has like, no, this is the big agricultural area and it supplies a lot for the cities like mainly cabbages. (laughs) Largely cabbages. (laughs) And of course it has towns because villages, because villages do spring up because everyone needs somewhere to live and meet up and go to the pub. Yeah. And it's also quite nice as a sort of timeline placement. And this is almost a pin I'm dropping to come back to in a much later book. But um, the Discworld book sort of, you start with like Colour of Magic and like Fantastic and it's sort of almost like medieval-ish times fantasy. Mm-hmm. And you see the world of the disc grow at varying rates and it's never meant to set in one time that yeah. parallels around world history, although obviously certain books parallel certain things. But we'll in- we'll meet a very different sort of village that would exist in more of a Victorian era in a later book, but that yes. exists for a similar reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't say any more without... Yeah, no, but stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still wouldn't be a major spoiler, but yeah, it's- yeah. tis a spoiler. So anyway, yeah, so I like that. I like remembering to put the boring parts of fantasy world building in. Like I, will- I like Tolkien because I will quite happily read pages on the ag- agricultural systems of these lands. Mm-hmm. Nerd. Yep. I can't talk about you. Literally, um, we're hosting a Discworld podcast, Francine. I feel like nerd goes without saying. <laughs> From the boring to the very not, we have the weird bedroom of Death's Domain. I just thought it was quite sweet. This is Susan goes back to Death's Domain and ends up peeking into what was Death's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And that he's put in all of these details because he's yeah. picked up this idea of what a gentleman's bedroom should be. Yeah. So he's got pomade and hairbrushes because that is what a gentleman would have on his dressing table. Absolutely. That's and correct. he has a large four-poster bed, but he's not bothered to make it comfortable because obviously he doesn't yeah. sleep in a bed. Yeah, you get the idea that somehow just making a, a statue representation of whatever the thing is is easier for him. Yeah. And it's just, I, I don't know, I think it's a very sweet detail about him that he... Yeah. he puts these very human touches into it. And I know we've talked about it before, but there's something about the bedroom and the... Sorry, mm. my foot's gone to sleep. <laughs> there's something about the bedroom and the creating a personal, intimate space that doesn't need to be seen it by anyone else and still making it that human. Yeah. I like the bit at the end where it's like, I'll keep your room exactly as you left it. Oh, thank you. A mess. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, you could have picked up a bit. It's so much better when you yeah. read it in like the Christopher yeah, Lee yeah, death yeah. voice as well. <laughs> a mess. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to talk about the animated soul music because Christopher Lee. Yeah, that'll be pretty good. Next week, yeah? Yes, next week. Sweet. Bonus, the best bonus, voice. bonus. Bonus, bonus out the wazoo. And the other location I want to talk about was Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. The location of the three festival. The three festival? The free festival. Yeah. I can speak. A parallel that even I could spot without. Yes. So for anyone who's not aware, on the the round world in London, there is a rather large park called Hyde Park. And large free concerts. Sounded like the start of a fairy tale. (laughs) Once upon a time. On the round world in the city of London, there was uh, a Hyde Park. It's spelt with a Y in London. Um, and large free concerts have often been held, held there. Uh, Live Aid was at Hyde Park. Ah. 
Um, so Hyde Park in Ankh-Morpork, it's not because people can hide, it's because uh, a hide was once a measure of land capable of being ploughed by one man with three and a half oxen on a wet Thursday. That is obviously not quite the same on the round world. <laughs> Uh, but a hide was an old English, spelt with an I, uh, was an old English land me- measurement, and it was the amount of land that could theoretically support one family. Right, okay. Um, it's Anglo-Saxon, hid the root word comes from, family. Okay. And it's, uh, so it would be, I can't remember the exact amount of acres because it sort of varied across different times, yeah. uh, but hides were generally used as measurements of land in the Doomsday Book, uh, so just post-Norman invasion. And is this why Hyde Park is called Hyde Park or is it different? Uh, so Hyde Park, uh, the name comes from the manor of Hyde, but it is believed to have the same root as okay. Hyde as a land land measurement. But sure, the, sure. I, that's why it's spelled differently because it was based on the manor nearby because it was a series of manors around that area of London. Yeah. If you go back long enough, kind of I's and Y's are almost interchangeable in a lot of things, isn't it, before standard spelling cropped up. So yeah, pretty it much. makes sense that one stuck one way and one stuck the other. But it would be that measurement would then be used for like how many hides you had would be, how much tax you would pay, how responsible you were for the upkeep of things like bridges, how many people you'd have to throw at the army, mm-hmm. as in um, let join the army. Not, yeah, yeah, not like physically trebuchet across the countryside. Just punting, the pe- <laughs> punt the peasants, punt the peasants. Um, but London Hyde Park also for international listeners and maybe some UK listeners, I don't know, is also interesting for having one of the most famous speaker's corners, which is uh, sort of wow. designated places for people to go and yeah, rant. Yeah, things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, and it's quite famous for being sort of a protest space. It's very near Buckingham Palace. Yes. Um, With so the new be- authoritarian laws that we've now passed in the UK, I expect that'll be clamped down on soon. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to affect Speaker's Corners because they're almost sanctioned. So Speaker's Corners are a bit like uh, Sater Square and Ankh-Morpork is mm-hmm. where people can go or, or there's a very famous Speaker's Corner type scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I'll try and shut it down, but it's uh, as a protest spot, I imagine it'll be more heavily regulated. Yes, I am curious. Yeah, sorry, our country is going into a whole totalitarian disaster at the moment, listeners. It's great, uh, great. it's fun. <laughs> do check out the Amnesty International noisy and annoying campaign. We're trying to get we some amendments. Now, let me make a note to link it. Yep. We're trying to get some amendments to this horrific bill that's being passed because one of the laws in it is that protests can be shut down for being noisy and annoying. I was listening back to one of our year or so ago episodes the other day and mm-hmm. the one where you we kind of fervently hope that Forrest Johnson would just kill off his horse near the end of the book and that just doesn't seem to be happening. So I guess we will have to yeah do this political campaigning stuff instead yeah we did hope we were optimistic a year ago (laughs) anyway yeah that was all i had for locations a little bit we liked do you want to start francine do you want to talk about gardening yeah um it's another little callback to good omens almost it's just when susan is looking around for where albert should be and Mm. is not uh she finds uh few books around bits of paper whatever but one of the books was gardening in difficult conditions <laughs> which i just thought was adorable as the am i imagining well first of all i was imagining just trying to read a gardening book about you know being in the desert or something like that and trying to apply it to being in literally death's domain um <laughs> and then i was imagining a kind of play on what they did in good omens with the gardener's question time 
<laughs> uh, with the whole uh yeah so I've got like fish raining from the sky is that good for my roses <laughs> but in death domain kind of thing it's like so yeah we, today we have a Mr Albert who seems to have a problem with linear time not existing in his garden so uh Keith what do you think about that <laughs> so, uh, Jasmine I think flourishes in those conditions <laughs> yes jasmine doesn't seem to be uh, particularly constrained by uh, the realities of linear time it's perfect for a garden outside of reality exactly so yes anyway that little tangent of my brain amused me for some time so i put it in here <laughs> excellent that amuses me too uh something i really like is uh, we mentioned it earlier but the swing uh speaking of death garden yes death's logic of it should hang from the two stoutest branches mm-hmm. So we'll take half the trunk out. This is how things end up happening when I do them, yes. <laughs> I, I go through this same logic thing, like I've especially noticed it because with uh, with coding where I've started, as well as uh, the tutorial, like the, the lessons I'm doing, obviously I'm now trying to branch out into making stuff for myself by going, yeah. okay, well, these are all the things I need to happen. And so I'll do, every, I'll, it's very much like my writing process where I will get everything out onto the page and then go back and clean it up afterwards. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> coding <laughs> yeah no i have ended up with uh like i'm making a very very basic space invaders oh fun yeah. thing mm-hmm. to practice my i really want to get into the games industry i'm starting small i quite often end up with pages of code where it works but i have very much taken out the middle six feet of the tree yeah yeah and it's with anything like i just find it very painful to take that step backwards as clearly death is yeah yeah, that's something I have to force myself to do sometimes. So it's like, okay, look, no, I started wrong here, and I need I need, I need to work out what what went wrong exactly and try again because I can probably duct tape this together. But for goodness sake, why would I? <laughs> I have it with theatre pieces as well. I remember there was a play I was working on, and it was just a two hander. But I was working from the point of how would I stage this, mm-hmm. and how would I stage this based on not needing a stagehand, but these characters need to go on and off stage. The setting needs to change. Things need to change on stage and their outfits need to change. And I spent so long writing the play around that structure that then I realised what I really needed to do was write the play. Yeah, I know. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yes. No. Uh, Unfortunately for both of us, we do seem to share that. Look, we get to the end. Bulldozer approach to logical thought. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we always eventually end up vaguely in the right place, sort nice. of. We, we get a podcast out every week. Well, quite so. That's why it's always so much easier to edit other people's work, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or at least leave it overnight before I try and edit my own writing. Well, it's, it's it's why the post-its happen and there are so many in every book because I do the bulldozer approach of note everything and then yeah. I can edit my notes down when I write the episode plan and again as we're recording. Yeah, that's... Um, it's working, but goddamn, that seems like the hard way around. <laughs> it is, but I know no other way. I've tried to just be more efficient and what I have ended up with is this. It's fine, it's fine, it's good. Uh, anyway, at this point, you can't give up because then you won't have the post-its. In the yeah, no, I really yeah. like the aesthetic yeah. that I've got going now. Uh, so, yeah, so I enjoy the swing and death logic because I find it very relatable. Indeed. Um, the uh, little bit I liked, and this was nearly a big talking point, but I don't really have a whole lot to say on it, but I like the foreshadowing into the full circle moment with Dead Man's Curve. and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I should have been there moment and seeing I could have, yes, I could have done something and coming full circle to see the rest of that conversation with Susan. Yeah, for sure. That's very satisfying. And I really like within that conversation, Susan thinking, well, I've got to say it or I'm not human. And it was the, I could go back and save them. Yeah. And she, she knows that she can't. She no. knows what the answer is going to be, but she feels like if she doesn't just put those words out there, then she's lost something essentially human about herself. Yeah. And then slightly later in the book, it did kind of reiterate that you can choose immortality or humanity. And yeah. She chose humanity and then ended up crying in bed, poor Susan. No, oh, poor Susan. Anyway, yeah, so I enjoy that. Um, oh, and the other moment, the when uh, the boys are getting asked for autographs oh. by a troll who is also wearing a loincloth because he fumbles in his loincloth. Oh, he does, he does. Multiple loincloths. Multiple loincloths. Oh, what, what a day for Joanna. <laughs> what a day for me. <laughs> Didn't have to imply any loincloths. <laughs> no negative loincloths here. Anyway. Um, but when he's having the autograph moment and he's doing that, oh, and it's not for me, it's for my boy. And it just reminded me because we just covered Strata and there was the moments where um, the main character, whose name I've already forgotten, we just covered this book, Francine. Mm. Begins with a K. Kim? Kit? Cat? Kim, I think Kim. I'm going to stick with Kim. No, it's not Kim. I know. <laughs> the main character is asked to autograph her book by multiple people and all of them do that. It's not for me, it's for... Yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is something that he's put in enough times that it must be a thing if you are asked for autographs, that you are often asked for autographs with a follow-up of, but it's not for me. For sure. Uh, kin. 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 I was closest. Okay. I'm giving that to me. <laughs> you win that one. Um, yeah, Kim's not very fancy. <laughs> I, suppose. I like... But I like the idea that Terry Pratchett has put this in as a ha, isn't it just like that when you're asked for autographs and everyone does this and it's like, dude, that's, that one's maybe not relatable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not a hugely relatable human experience. Yeah, I do like his uh, his slightly miffed stories about book signings and things. They're always fun in a slip <laughs> of the keyboard. There are some very funny stories. There's lots of funny ones, especially Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, both writing about good omens and the mm-hmm. uh, both the battered have obviously been dropped in the bath, held together by elastic bands copies and the very creepy kept in a special box with yeah. runes on it copies like oh come on guys <laughs> there's a uh we've well, got the terry pratchett on neil gaiman and neil gaiman on terry pratchett the little interviews at the end of some uh paperback copies of good omens yeah and i just remember neil having a little joke at the end of his and oh and at book signings make sure you bring like your rattiest copy of the book because terry really loves it and it's obviously like him just being a little bit of a dick yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen a forum post elsewhere where Terry says, like, I know Neil's game and said that, but please also like buy books when you come to my signings, because <laughs> that's what they're for. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then yeah, obviously the big one is it's all the references and things I liked. Go on, Joanna. Just go so on, go show me your favorite references. <laughs> one of my nerd. <laughs> I, I'm not even being that nerdy about no, it. No, I know. So it's, uh, no, there's so, there's so many fucking references. It's not like we could skip over them. No, uh, a couple of the kind of more general ones I like is Cliff talking about how he wants a heart shaped quarry because it's very much a thing of rock stars having heart shaped swimming pools. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And uh, Glod keeps redecorating the hotel rooms. And yeah, was. I was assuming it's something to do with rock stars normally trashing hotel rooms. Oh, yeah. See, I was expecting in the end that it would turn out that Glod was an interior designer instead of a musician at heart, and that bit never came. But 
No, I think it's just a play on the fact that normally yeah. rock stars trash hotel rooms. Yeah, God, it's very thoughtful, I suppose. <laughs> uh, there's a great Blues Brothers moment when Mr. Keat and Mr. Cleet and the other guys from the Musicians Guild are waiting for the show to start and they're doing the, no, we're fine, we're within our rights. Anyone want a hot dog? Hot dog? Hot dog? Right, that's four hot And it's uh, uh, the orange whip scene from Blues Brothers when they're ah. waiting for the band to start in the um, Palace Ballroom. The bit where Glod says something about, oh, they'll want to know about that cart I pulled out of the swimming pool. Was that another kind of subversion of rock stars drive into swimming pools or was that a Blues Brothers moment that I'd forgotten? Uh, no, I think that's a, like rock stars throwing TVs yeah. out of windows into yeah. swimming pools and that sort of it's thing. Just Glod tidying up instead, yeah. Okay. Yes, <laughs> which I, I like that as a little detail about Glod. Yeah. He likes to tidy up. I mean, he's a bad negotiator. Just... <laughs> There's so many just good little things to build up a character in so few words. Yeah. And then obviously the kind of big blues brothersness of the car chase. So they get out of the gig and they get out of there. But I really like the tonal shift that you go from it's very blues brothers, they're getting out of the gig uh with all the money and into the car and running away to Quirm and the musicians guild following them, and that's all very much the car chase and the blues yeah. brothers. And then you've got death on the motorbike and it becomes bat out of hell. Yeah. And that tone, just as the cart goes over the uh, dead man's curb, you get that massive tonal shift. And it is clearly very bat out of hell. Yeah. Also leads to, like, this is probably one of my favourite uh, cover designs of the Josh Kirby ones. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Death on the motorcycle. and this... It's very simple for a Josh Kirby design, isn't it? It Death, is. Death ones are the best ones, actually, aren't they? Because Reefer Man's my favourite. Reefer Man's a beautiful one as well. I think he he's... With the death ones, it's a single character usually interacting mm. with something, taking up a whole page. Obviously, there's the details in the back. Like the back cover has the rest of them in the cart. Oh yeah, I've, and, got, the wrong, uh, I've got the wrong edition for that. But... Yeah, you've got the sort of newer edition that just takes bits of the Kirby designs. Yeah. Um, like with this, with death, there's lots of little hand-drawn stars around him, and you yeah. sort of got you can see Ank Morpork underneath, little which bats. It, it's and yeah, the bats and yeah, so it's this big bat out of hell thing of. Uh, and I'd never see the sudden curve until it's way too late. Yeah. I nearly sang it there. I resisted the edge. Oh, shame. <laughs> never see the sudden curve until it's way too late. <laughs> and I'm dying at the... Sorry, no. <laughs> I was going to try so hard not to sing through this episode. <laughs> you can't sing Bass Out of Hell and not do an 80s powerball. Exactly. I know it's not Total Eclipse of the Heart, but... <laughs> anyway... Anyway, yeah. you get too far into um, other... glam metal, <laughs> can't come out again. That's not even that, is it? What is it? Glam rock? Is that what it is? Meatloaf? Someone's no, I wouldn't get say very angry glam with rock. Me. Is it just metal? It's early metal. It's early 80, metal. 80s rock. Hair metal. No, that's not right either. There's so many different types of metal. I'm very sorry, everybody. I'm going to go with 80s rock for this one. <sighs> okay, cool. Oh, although recommendation of the week, actually, because we've been talking a lot about music and history of music and the, the various things we don't know. Uh, Andrew O'Neill, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, friend of the friend of the pod, Mark Burrows. <laughs> friend by association of the pod. Uh, has an amazing stand-up show and a book, uh, History of Heavy Metal, uh, especially in the stand-up show, which I'm pretty sure you can get online. I've got it on DVD because it was like a Kickstarter thing. They give a full PowerPoint presentation on the history of heavy metal with a full band. Ah. And it's... I'm not the biggest metal head in the world, but it is hilarious as well as being obviously very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go check out, and the book's great as well. So go check out Andrew O'Neill, History of Heavy Metal. If I can Either find it online, I certainly will. 
either in video or paper form. Mm. I don't uh, know you can get it injected <laughs> directly into your bloodstream or anything. Not yet. <laughs> they know a lot more about the different kinds of metal than we do. Yes. Uh, and then, yeah, other silly little references. Uh, lots of fun band names. We've got We're Certainly Dwarfs. Uh, they might be giants, uh, which is one that I think gets referenced from this book the most. Surely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, yeah. it's a nice. Almost everyone will get that one. Yeah, although weirdly, like they might be giants. A lot of people have heard of them, but they're still a bit of a cult band, and they definitely were when this was out. Like I, well, I didn't hear begin... of them until I was in my twenties. I the first time I heard of them was because they did the Malcolm in the Middle theme tune. Oh, did they? All right. Yes. Well, I knew and that. So I remember. <laughs> I remember seeing they might be giants in the credits. Ah, um, good. Uh, so yeah, but apart from that, I didn't really listen to them until I got into my twenties. Mm. They um, were never quite mainstream, but they're very good, and I do recommend going and listening to some songs. Yeah, uh, can't keep Johnny down and mm. Istanbul, not Constantinople, probably my favourites. Birdhouse and Your Soul, obviously, is always a classic. Birdhouse and Your Soul is such a great song. Mm. Although I once went to a play, it was a like hour long one man show. It was a really good play. It was I was doing. They had the play and then they had some short minute long performances afterwards. And I was doing one okay. of the minute long ones. Huh. Uh, but the opening to the play was just him sat in the office chair as it, all the audience came in and sit down with Birdhouse on Your Soul on repeat. Oh. While he sort of lip synced along to it, not like in a full on lip sync performance, but like, you know, as if you just sat around singing along mm. to a song. And then it ended up featuring in the play. It was a very good play. I wish I could remember what it was called. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry. I keep going off on these wild tangents. That's okay, it's a day for that. <laughs> I think I might have taken my afternoon medication twice, so frankly, it's a miracle we're anywhere. <laughs> right, we're in a podcast. Other band names are Suck, I'm assuming is a reference okay. to Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Other band names Suck. All bands should be called We're Certainly Dwarfs from now on. What was the one they said they really liked about fabric? Surreptitious uh, fabric. Yeah, what's that meant to be? The Velvet Underground. Oh, cool. cool. Um, oh, not... An actual name they have, but obviously there is a leopard with hearing difficulties, which is a reference to death oh, leopard. Fuck me. Did you right. not get that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a slight protective layer over a part of my brain that deals with these things. There's a deaf leopard, Francine. <laughs> well, so there is. Goodness me. <laughs> we were literally talking is. about watching Deaf Leopard Live last week. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I was too. I was too kind of caught up in the idea that they were going to try and make it into trousers. Okay, <laughs> that made me concerned for a cat's welfare at the same time as expecting me to get a pun as well. All right, fine. Uh, who else? The whom? Yes. Very uh, grammatically correct. Half an hour. Yes. The who? Uh, the blots. I'm assuming is a reference to the ink spots. Yeah. A band I'm aware of because of the Galaxy Radio playlist. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, Lead balloon. Also, I'm assuming is a reference to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, so those are the ones I wrote down. The ones I like, and um, the song that uh, Buddy plays on his harp. Oh, uh, I obviously can't speak. I can't pronounce Welsh, but um, it's Shoni Bodda, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure how well I'm saying that. Bodda is Welsh for "be good," so it's oh Johnny, Johnny be good. Fuck. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other references in the book to the song Johnny Be Good. There's Buddy oh. talking about uh, growing up in a hut surrounded by mud and I can't remember I can't remember the lyrics to Johnny Be Good perfectly, but that's okay. It almost a direct quote from the song and there's another line as well, but I've not written it down. Cool. 
Cool. Nice. Uh, you got to love the little references that he threads throughout these things. Isn't it? I do really love them. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll talk more about the Sioni Bodhara in that moment. But before that, would you like to talk about gyrating, Francine, as we go on to our bigger talking points? Oh, I suppose so. I suppose I could. <laughs> A little bit of gyration. Talk yeah. to me about gyration. <laughs> Very sorry. Very sorry to have to talk about gyrations, unnatural gyrations at that. Oh, I've got pals. I can clutch them. Please <gasps> do. <dear. gasps> yes, uh, this is barely related to be honest but I like it <laughs> um when they get to Quirm the mayor has kind of made up excuses to not let them play to yes because, like they cause a ruckus and the music with rocks in represents a public nuisance is proven to be injurious to health and morals and to cause unnatural gyrations of the body um <laughs> which just obviously just makes you think of the myriad public moral panics well, about various about types of music yeah like, I mean, yeah, Elvis is definitely the the one. He was only filmed from the waist up because of his the hips. Yes, yeah. Um, Cliff Richard was another one who got told off really? about the hips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Cliff Richard, of course, was you know very sexy in the sixties, whenever it was fifties, sixties, sixties, sixties. Got to be sixties, got to be fifties. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, all of that rock and roll stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of it was because of um, race mixing. Yeah. Um, especially in the US, um, I'm assuming here as well, but you know, the big US segregation stuff. Um, and like hairspray, if you've seen hairspray. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of that stuff, not to overly simplify a massive issue, but that's what I do. Um <laughs> but yeah, while I was looking this up, I just thought you might enjoy the fact that it goes all I think you knew this anyway, but it goes all the way the fuck back. And I found a little moral panic about the waltz um <laughs> from the eighteen hundreds, um where in southern Sweden so this is a Swedish source from 1809 um, from a newspaper oh no I'm sorry the newspaper in 1801 Um, if you my lady want to avoid embarrassment then stay away from the dances that put you in danger the waltzes are such a group not only because their circular movements are the most harmful they are also the most indecent and immoral I want to ask any male if he can have the same respect as before for a girl when he has seen her waltzing. Even less can he who waltzed with her have any respect for her. It was well done by Goethe when he let Werther say that, whatever will happen with love, the girl who he loves should never waltz with somebody else. Excellent. Apparently there was some talk about the waltz basically being an upright version of rolling down a hill in an embrace. I don't know what kind of truth that has to anything. <laughs> I've I've been waltzing wrong, clearly. I know. But the the really funny bit is is just this tone has just been kept up through the centuries. Like I found a bit of moral panic from I mean that obviously there was the whole satanic panic thing and it kind with of came hand in hand with that yeah. metal back masking, the idea of like ACDC having satanic messages if you played their music backwards, and then that yeah. transferring to reality when some metal bands started doing that. Um and then there's which a bit- always reminds me of one of my favorite Bill Hicks jokes, which is uh, I, I can't even remember the band he's making fun of, but some terrible pop, but very, very poppy boy band. And he just said, oh, new kids on the block. He said, oh, you know, if you play new kids on the block records backwards, they sound better. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, one of my favorite ones was uh, there's this whole article from the BBC, which has eight ones from various points, uh, which I'll link along with the Swedish thing. But Bing Crosby's distracting rhythm 
Uh, the worry apparently was that workers in factories might become so caught up in the giddy rhythm that they'd bang their tools in time, risking not only damage to the tools, but potentially causing a decrease in productivity. Uh, I know. Um, you've got, uh, oh yeah, and then, you know, various throughout the ages, all the way up to 2008, the Daily Mail's why no child is safe from the sinister cult of emo. <laughs> Speaking as a former emo kid. They weren't wrong. No. <laughs> this made me the creature you see before me. Before yeah. you. I mean, Russia even had a bill banning like emo clothing in various like public buildings and stuff. And so oh, there yeah. had to be this whole thing where they had to define emo clothing as separate from the other genres. So it's like they had this whole fucking Tumblr argument in Russian government. <laughs> it's like Anyway, I fucking love music, moral panics, you know, apart from the fact they're quite often rooted in racism, racism. Classism, whatever, but sexism, all of that good stuff. But it's funny in retrospect, kind of. <laughs> I do think one of the best recent musical modern panics has to be uh, Ben Shapiro specifically's reaction to the song Wet Ass Pussy. Oh, yes. Wet ass P word. <laughs> and then everybody's reaction to Lil Nas X. Yes, which, oh, the Montero video is so good, though. Lockdown did give us two fantastically explicit music videos. Yeah. <laughs> and those reactions are a massive intersection of homophobia, sexism, and misogyny. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. You know me. If, if there's anybody in our group that could be called a bit of a prude, it's me. But I am well up for all of those existing. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that'd be said here. I fully support people gyrating in any fashion they wish. I just don't wish to be don't wish to be a part of some of it. <laughs> yes, please feel free to gyrate as you wish. However, make sure you have the consent of surrounding people. <laughs> and for goodness' sake, don't waltz if you want to be taken seriously. <laughs> See, I've always thought I could do a pretty passable waltz, but now I'm very worried that I need to incorporate more hill rolling. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to look into this in a bit more depth, I think. I think you, I thought you were just about to say, well, now I'm very worried that men won't take me seriously. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm worried yeah, men yeah. won't take me seriously. <laughs> Not the fact that I'm five foot five, baby faced, and unfortunately give off huge manic pixie dream girl vibes. Ah, uh, you do, but you're adorable. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean that in a minute. <laughs> I meant that in a loving way. Fuck you, brackets. Uh, amicable. <laughs> 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 but the point is no one should take me seriously I can't take me seriously I'm a I take person. you seriously when the context demands it yeah do you want to have a serious conversation about music then oh god I guess <laughs> I wanted to cool. bring us full circle to the first episode where I was talking about the music that made you want to ascend on steps of fire mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I am going to make a playlist of what we talked about and what listeners sent us but I want to look at the opposite here which is uh uh, Johnny Be Good or Sioni Buddha that, that obviously Johnny Be Good itself is not a particularly sad I, song if, oh okay good because I if I'd got that reference I would have listened to it before the show but I didn't so I didn't yeah no I think it's just the name is meant to be a reference but the actual song itself is described in these very beautiful isn't it weird that considering like my read-throughs of these are quite off quite focused on trying to find obscure things to pick out yeah that I just my brain just skips over fucking song titles like eh. Like that's probably just, a reference. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it's not the thing that your brain stores. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like I didn't even think about looking up what that meant. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that sounds like a Welsh folk song. Whatever. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always curious when he uses other languages. 
okay. uh, because there's quite often some funny puns hidden, especially in like the cod Latin. I always have to ask for your help with the cod Latin. I can't, I can't do it. I don't know why my brain just stalls on it. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a really nice quote about the song that Buddy plays. Um, it was sad music, but it waved it the sadness like a battle flag. It said the universe had done all it could, but you were still alive. I think that's a really lovely description of this song that leads to everyone hugging and yeah. crying and you and me about brother and thinking of home. And I was just wondering if you can think of any songs that do this for you in some way. Yeah. The slightly more upbeat one I've got in my very small list is Here mm. Comes the Sound of the Beatles. That's very melancholy to me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, upbeat, it gives me a little bit of a di- dichotomy of emotions, which is always fun. Yeah of a morning um and then the two i'd say the like definitely melancholyish ones um are suzanne leonard cohen oh yeah and uh swing life away by rise against oh that's a good song mm. i did i i i haven't got a huge list but there's a few songs that have varying versions of this effect on me and i struggled to pick a leonard cohen to put in there because there were too many yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> god i love leonard cohen yeah, ouch my heart always. Thanks, Leonard. <laughs> oh, that voice. Um, but yeah, the the bit where he's talking about uh, how the song is all about thinking of home and missing it uh, reminded me of there's this really beautiful little Amy McDonald song, Caledonia. Oh, yeah. And it's like a bonus track on her. Um, I can't remember if the album's called This Is The Life, but it's the album that has This Is The Life on it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And it's, I'm not Scottish. I've never even been to Scotland apart from once when I was a year old by accident for like an hour. My mother was in Newcastle. She had me in the car. (laughs) (laughs) My mother was in Newcastle. She was very stressed and went for a drive. She had me in the car. She was more stressed than she realised and accidentally drove to Scotland for a bit. Are all of your anecdotes involving your mother and travel like this? (laughs) (laughs) We don't always end up in Scotland. Although Chicago was last week, yeah. (laughs) Station for next week, no. Um, and yeah, so that song just makes me incredibly romantically wistful for a place I've never been. That song from Brave makes me feel like that for Scotland. Yeah, which is even worse because it's a fucking Disney song. <laughs> oh, the Disney songs have horrible emotional effects on me. I deliberately didn't put Disney in here because you know I try and keep some veneer of maybe I could be cool if you squint in the right light but no yeah obviously Disney songs make me feel all kinds of ways I managed to keep Disney out of it I didn't entirely keep musicals out of it yeah go on um what else have we got uh, oh, Edelweiss if we're putting musicals in there is definitely my like again I'm just one. not with you on sound of music yeah. um what else was that there's uh Amanda Palmer has a couple of really beautiful songs that do this but uh one that's brought to mind is Machete which is a really amazing oh. epic song about grief that I highly remember looking up either the demo version or the album version but it's a very good stick headphones on and it pulls you all the way through the emotional ringer and out the other side um and it's a nice sing aloud torch song ah cool uh my go-to shower song which also very much falls in this category uh it's maybe this time from cabaret I've just started listening to that recently ever since like the Shit's Creek episode where <laughs> yeah uh but it because it's it's sad but it's optimistic it's everything has gone wrong for me so far but maybe maybe it can work out this time maybe I am I'm still worthy of this Liza Minnelli's version or a different version Liza Minnelli's version okay. I am I love the movie version of Cabaret I will watch it I've repeatedly oh we should do that as a movie night at some point it's very surreal 
Yeah. I always forget how many Nazis are in that film. Oh. <laughs> it's not pro-Nazi. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I guessed, yeah. <laughs> Why do all my favourite musicals have Nazis in them? And yeah, I'm still not a big fan of the sound of music. What can you do? It's got Julie Andrews and defeating Nazis in it. There's no hope for it if you don't like it by now. It should tick all of my boxes. I think I just had to watch yeah, it on too, too many boring. Yeah. yeah. Um, Molotov Cocktail Dress is a really beautiful song by Dan Versus the World that I recommend everyone goes and looks up. It's a very sweet little piano, but it's also very raw. It's everything has been very tough, but I'm feeling brave anyway. Um, what else did I write down? Uh, One of These Days by David Ford, which is just a yeah. super depressing, but very sweet song about eventually feeling better. Yeah. It's got the sort of nice, uh, one of these days, maybe we'll pass in the street and I'll ask how you're doing and hope you're all right. And it's this sort of, Things aren't okay now, but they will be. To Hell with the World is my uh, David Ford emotional song of choice. Oh, To Hell with the World is also a good one. It's a bit more, like, fire you up than, yeah. Yes. I generally recommend David Ford to listen. Let's go and listen to some David Ford. He's very yeah. good. I always forget he exists for a while, then suddenly remember yeah. and binge his entire back catalogue repeatedly sure. over a week. <laughs> Motorcycle Emptiness by Manic Street Preachers. Ah, yes, good. It's got that amazing kind of wailing, sad guitar in it that I really enjoy. I wish I had a harp song that I could add to this list. I was trying to think of harp songs, but, you know, I don't listen to a lot of music with harps in. We do have a harpist listener, I know, at least one. Uh, we do Molly. have a harpist yeah. listener. Yes, hello, Molly. Tell us some good, good harp songs to make us feel sad things. Yes. <laughs> Send us emotional harp songs. And then this is probably just another angry, sad song. I like singing really loudly, but you ruined everything, you stupid bitch from Crazy Girlfriend. <laughs> You you it's it's there's nothing hopeful yeah, so you or optimistic can't sing it at a normal volume no that's another shower song because you've got to belt it yeah and i i didn't sound check i did a bursa sound check i did not do a belting power yeah, no, no, no. Sound check. <laughs> we, can, we can't cope with that um i forgot one which is better daughter brackets or son and i've forgotten the artist which is why i didn't read it out but uh yeah. the, they played at the end of the nanette stand-up and oh yeah I'll link oh it. god that, that was that such was, a good that's one of the songs that when i listened for the first time did make me like cry so but i love these big torch songs that are, are optimistic in their sadness yeah. yeah yeah they're not wallowing songs they are they embracing are, ah, it. this all sucks let's Set fire to something. yeah yeah <laughs> And uh, this kind of brings me around to, I wanted to tie into this with, um, it's really rare when we record these, we actually talk about the last lines of the book because mm. we do them as an outro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really love the last lines in this somewhere in some other world, far away from the disc world, someone tentatively picked up a musical instrument that echoed to the rhythm in their soul. And it's mm. this lovely thing reading this book that I don't think we talk about a lot. Obviously, with Discworld Pratchett's parodying fantasy and you can see in that that he really loves fantasy. It's a very gentle... Yeah. I'm I'm doing this because I love it parody. But when you yeah. get into not every time he parodies something other than direct fantasy, but especially I think with this, with the music, and I think yeah. to a certain extent moving pitch with the movies, you can really see how much he loves that thing. Like you can see in this that he genuinely loves music and not just that he knows a lot about music and is able to reference lots and lots of bands, but that he loves music and the emotional effect it has on someone. Yeah. 
and the power of rock and roll and what it can do to you emotionally. And I really love seeing that in this book. I think it makes for a, in a sense, more enjoyable parody than something like Weird Sisters, which is, yes, let's play with Macbeth, but it's yeah, not it's quite a clever parody, isn't it? Not a hard yeah. parody. Yeah. And I think Moving Pictures did it to a certain extent of what movies do for people and how they're caught up in it. But this is the first one, I think, where I've really felt like he really cares about it. Come and enjoy this with me. Yeah. yeah. This feels like someone's showing you something they love. Yeah. And I think that makes it such a really lovely book. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. And with that, I don't think I've really got much else more to say for it. Uh, uh, no. Have you got an obscure reference video for me? I have. I have. Um, it mentions at some point... I think it's Nobby and Colon standing at the Diasil gate. Mm-hmm. I was like, eh, what's that word? Eh. Looked it up and it is another word for uh, turn wise, pretty much. So it's a uh, clockwise, right, uh, sun wise is another word for it. So it's and... kind of the opposite of like Widdershins is anti clockwise. Yeah, yeah ah. exactly. So um, and it, apparently it comes from very far back like the same root word as like dexterous so it's like right-handed as well um but apparently in wiccan rituals and that it's used with this spelling d-e-o-s-i-l um from the gaelic it is usually d-e-a-s-i-l or uh variations thereupon um yeah so just thought that was interesting considering he uses woodishins and turnwise just so he so i'm guessing he'd be using it in the sunward sense rather than right because right doesn't make sense yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's the directions the disc moves in yeah so sunward and clockwise i didn't really think about it but because sun dials were the first kind of yes clocks clocks. around these these areas um and the fact that it went that way that's why clockwise and sunwise were interchangeable for it yeah yeah Yeah. that's learning things (laughs) would it Oh, this is a very stupid question. Would it go the other way around in the other hemisphere? I don't think so. No, no, that doesn't make sense, does it? No. 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 Okay, cool. Good. Right. <laughs> you know, when you're saying something and is it kind of like, oh, no, no. Never mind. <laughs> 90% of what I say, yes, the fact that we have a podcast is a miracle. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Every time I listen back to an episode, it's just me cringing at my own dumbassery. Oh, really? Oh, see, as I say, I was listening to that episode from a year ago. And that's because someone referenced that they'd been uh, catching up on. Oh ones. yeah, um, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's good. But yeah, I, I think when I've left enough time in between, I quite like just listening back to snippets of our conversation. I'm like, oh, we're fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I am exaggerating. Yeah. I don't really hate it that much. Obviously, I enjoy making the podcast, and I don't think I'm that bad. But yeah, I enjoy being self-deprecating. Oh, of course. I very rarely listen back to our old episodes. To be fair, because. I, I don't listen stressful. to big chunks of them often, but uh, yeah. just the soft opens sometimes. I do like kind of going back and seeing what mood we were in that day. It's a yeah. nice little time capsule of, especially last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. Yeah, I don't hide the grumps great. as well as I try. <laughs> <laughs> and we do try. Right? I think that's probably everything we can say about uh, the book Soul Music. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've missed anything even slightly important, but if we have, do let us know, listeners. We are coming back next week, though, with a bonus episode. Yeah. We are going to talk about the Soul Music animated series. This yeah. was a six series? episode. Is it... Fuck me, are you going to make me watch six episodes for next week? I thought it was another movie. No, they're like 20-minute episodes. It's like Weird Sisters. All right. 
we did that in one episode as well. It, okay. it, it's the same length as a movie, but it's cut into 20 minute episodes. Okay. Well, you know, I don't perceive time well. Okay. <laughs> this is what you like. You like watching no, lots no, of episodes yeah, yeah. of things. No, you're quite right. <laughs> Sorry. Francine's panic over. We're going to watch the Soul Music animated mini series <laughs> and do an episode on that next week. So I recommend trying to get a hold of it and watching it if you can. It is a bit tricky to get a hold of, and obviously we don't endorse just going on YouTube and watching it. But I was going to say, asking for a friend, can I find it online? Because I haven't bought a DVD or anything. Look, well, we're not going to link <laughs> to it online in the show notes. Okay. It's also quite hard to get a copy of the DVD. So uh, if you are going to try that, I recommend eBay and. It? Is it from the same studios that did the With Sisters? Or? It is from the same yeah, studios. They don't, yeah, they don't do a thing. No. Uh, so, yeah, we won't link to ways you can get it that don't involve paying for it. I'm sure you can work it out yourselves. We have absolute faith in you, listeners. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we're going to be back next week to talk about the animated soul music in a fun little bonus episode. And then we'll be back properly in July to discuss some interesting times. Yes. Uh, however, in the meantime, dear listener, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make You Fret. You can join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYF. You can email us your thoughts, queries, castles, albatrosses, and snacks, the True Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash the True Shall Make You Fret, and exchange your hard earned pennies for fun bonus nonsense and we've got lots of bonus nonsense coming over the next couple of months mm. including a shiny new we episode plans. we have plans we've got a new episode of down the rabbit hole coming at the beginning of july in which i shall give a powerpoint presentation on clowns oh you're doing and powerpoint as well excellent you've you raised the bar now i feel like i feel a bit competitive <laughs> and if you sign up on patreon you can Fuck, i hate it when you get competitive with me you just go so all out <laughs> <laughs> i really am not going to because i don't all have right. time <laughs> And if you do sign up uh, on Patreon, you can also go back and see any of our previous bonus content. You don't only get the stuff that's come out after you've signed up. Good to know. And in the meantime, dear listener, it will never die. It's here to stay. Existence is pain. Mm, True that.